0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 102, 102 of the Cardano Effect podcast. Rick and I are the hosts of the Cardano Effect podcast. We want to thank the Cardano Foundation for sponsoring this podcast. I want to give you two quick reminders that Bitfinex just listed ADA. So you can go ahead and use Bitfinex, which is a very large exchange. And also, Daedalus 2.1.0 is ready and available. You can redeem your ITN rewards. There are a few videos online showing you exactly how to do that. And there's some documentation from IOHK. Stay safe, everyone. Rick, how are you doing? What's going on? What's happening? Hey, I'm doing great, Philippe. It's been week one here. Uh, we had our, our full first Epic
1: since the launch of Mainnet, August 3rd. Or weeks, Epics, five days, seven days. That's all good for me. It's all good for me. And so it's all up and running. And now we, we have the stake pool operators with us today. Uh, to talk about all the cool things, stake pool that's been going on since the launch and when we're actually going to start making blocks and all that kind of cool stuff. And Charles, thank you also for joining us today. We appreciate you coming on. So thanks for being here. Um, I'd like to welcome all of you guys back to the podcast. Marco, James, Pay, and Kyle, we appreciate you coming back over to the podcast. How you how you guys doing today? Good. Good. Thank
2: you. Doing
3: great.
2: Yeah, I'm doing great. I really appreciate you having me on again. It's always fun to uh, come on here and talk with you guys. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Well, if you guys um, want to get us up and started,
1: we're going to jump right into the mix of things. Philippe's got a few bits to put out, and I'm going to shift over to the. Uh, I'm going to go over to YouTube and sort the channels out, and you guys get
0: us up and running. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Okay, Rick. Um, I want to welcome everyone. I know there are two streams going on right now. I just dropped the link for the other stream inside this stream, so everyone make their way over here. Rick is handling that. I want to reach out to all of you guys. Thanks for coming on. Can you tell us a little bit more about your pool? What's going on? What's your experience?
4: How are you liking everything right now? Marco, we can start off with you. Well, uh, my name is Marco, and me and my partner, Adam Dean, came on during uh, ITN about halfway through and have been uh, testing out ever since then. It's been a lot of work, been a lot of fun, learned a lot. Um, I handle more of the, the business side of things, and he does all the coding and stuff like that because that's not something I personally could handle. And I'm thankful for that. But uh, it's been going great. Uh, we're having a lot of fun. All right.
0: Thank you. Kyle, how's Frog doing?
3: Hey, Frog's doing okay. You know, we're we're struggling. I've kicked up uh, some marketing there. But, yeah, I've been around since ITN. And the majority of my work is actually directed towards supporting uh, up-and-coming stake pool operators. But as far as the pool operations go, we've got everything ready to rock.
2: All right big pay how's bloom doing? uh bloom's doing great uh, I'm honestly overwhelmed with all the support we've gotten recently um, it I've kind of been doing a switch on my YouTube channel from helping stake pool operators to helping the broader community more and trying to educate the broader community um, but yeah it's doing great uh, the node's running great um, I'm really happy honestly with how everything's going Wonderful James how's aka
5: it's uh it's doing good the having having more delegation at the beginning than I did on the ITN. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm feeling, uh, feeling pretty good about this. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoy the help of like, you know, people like Kyle, cause I, I was kind of a slow to the draw on, uh, on getting some things going cause you know, I just had the crazy idea of like running for office and all that. So it kind of slowed me down a touch, but, but, um, uh, but yeah, it's up and running and, and looking forward. To, to. I
4: did that too. I started a campaign for city council, and like the day after I filed my paperwork, the quarantine started.
5: Oh, <laughs> yeah, that kind of kind of hurts your campaigning ability. I, I kind of actually just launched into a little bit more recently. Uh, I had to go out and collect signatures. I'm still waiting to see if I got enough signatures or not. But, uh, but this isn't a politics podcast, so <laughs> so I'll try not to talk too much about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. Good luck with going into your campaigns, guys, because that will be your your crypto advocates. We could probably use a few more crypto advocates at the local uh, and state levels. Uh, so
6: yeah. I hope that works out well. And Charles, how's your pool doing? Yeah, Charles, did you make a pool? <laughs> well, I made some pools. I had to help set up the uh, input-output global pools yesterday. And actually, Friday is when I started. I wasn't done until Saturday afternoon, right before the deadline. So I stayed up 22 hours straight. Uh, working on it. And I was like, wow, okay, this is, uh, this is fun. So uh, the outcome of that is we're going to improve the experience.
3: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's rough, man. (laughs) It's rough. (laughs) Did you do,
1: did you do a completely cold offline pool or did you use CN tools, Charles? Did you use the We we did everything
6: because of the way that we're handling the security of our system. We did everything with air gap machines and multi-sig and all this other stuff. And so it added all of this operational complexity. And I and, and Sam and a few other people just didn't sleep at all on Friday. We said, oh, we'll have it all done by like Friday night. And then Friday night was gone and then the sun is coming up and we're like... Oh, that's not good," I said. "What's our deadline?" He said, "Yeah, three yeah, 30. I said, "Okay, I will make that. It'll be just fine." And then it's like two thirty before we know, and we're almost, we're almost done. We're like, "Shit, we only have an hour left. We have to get this
1: done." Charles, that was an exact description of what we did day one on August third. <laughs> yeah, that last, was day last one Friday. here. Yeah, it was because we did the air gap. We did the yeah. air gap, and people were pinging me and saying, "Hey, what? Where's Digi? Why isn't your pull up yet?" And I was like, "We're." We're building it nice and slow, perfect, you know, air gap, <laughs> the whole genie gig.
4: We did a lot of the Ooh. keys and the and the wallet creations, a lot of that uh, on the air gap the night before. And then, you know, yeah. we're prepared. So that way, you know, when launch came around and all we had to do is just move funds into them and all that kind of stuff.
6: Mm-hmm. We're going to make, we're going to make. All of that's so much easier. We're, we're already collecting business requirements and technical requirements for upgrading Ledger and Trezor, so you can do all your pledging your key generation and multi-sig uh, stake pool stuff with a Ledger device. And also, we're going to see if we can do the entire KESS inside of the Ledger itself to simplify that matter. So if you guys have some suggestions, get them to uh, the the development teams, because they're, uh, they're actually actively negotiating a contract with Vacuum Labs to do a firmware update to... Um, to Ledger, to uh, to give us these capabilities.
4: But the, the experience needs to be better. I went yeah. old school. We put it on a USB drive and stuck it in a safety deposit box at the bank.
6: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I it, You would be surprised. There's not a lot of good options here in Colorado for safety deposit boxes. So I, I took a trip to the boonies of of Montana and uh, buried a few things. And I so, did, anyway, too. <laughs> everything.
4: Where exactly <laughs> again? Yeah.
6: Uh, All and, and true. if you guys if you guys can find it in uh in montana good luck with that
2: <laughs> yeah. it's a treasure I'll, start, I'll start right after this man <laughs> that's like that guy k-dog
1: did you see k-dog the helito- helicopter pilot from alaska he buried ten thousand ada on on a key on top of mount Adarak in adak alaska yeah and he said if you can if you can get it it's yours, but you're going to need a helic. He didn't say you need a helicopter, but he got there by helicopter. <laughs> so that's what we're doing with the key, the cold keys, the totally offline air gap keys. People
6: are like burying them in, you know, <laughs> somewhere distant. Well, did you guys see the uh, the paper wallet video that I did a few days ago about using PGP to encrypt a paper wallet with QR codes? Mm. Yeah. No, I didn't see it. What, ha- what was the summary of that? Yeah, basically we want to enhance the paper wallet experience. And so what we're thinking is that we're gonna we're already building a QR code center for uh, Daedalus so that you can easily transfer keys to a cell phone for the Voltaire voting app. So you just literally just scan a shielded QR code and then you enter a password and then your phone is pre-set up with all the credentials it needs to vote. So it's a very secure way of transmitting things. You don't have to type keywords or anything like that. And then we're thinking, well, if we already have this and we're gonna build the identity center for Prism, why don't we just accelerate it a little bit and allow a person to put a public PGP key in Daedalus. And then when you generate your uh, your wallet backup, you can generate a paper wallet with a PGP encrypted private key uh, that's in a QR code format. So you have a public QR code and a shielded private QR code. And then to restore, all you have to do is just scan the private QR code with your webcam or whatever the wallet is, and then just uh, decrypt it with your PGP key, ideally like a hardware key, like a YubiKey or something like that. So it's a very secure way of storing long-term a paper wallet backup, assuming you have access to that PGP key. And so we're so confident in this scheme that if we implement it, uh, we're going to put a million dollars of ADA on a paper wallet and then broadcast both the shielded private key and the public key and say, if you can hack it, you can keep it. So uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see what happens with that. You know, knock on wood.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to test it.
6: <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm going to tweet it out. So you know, good, good luck, Internet. Have some fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: So guys, did we want to talk a little bit about staking to, so that all the people who out there who are delegating and moving their ADA from exchanges uh, and moving it from Byron Walsh to Shelley Watts so that they can stake it so that we can help the stakers who are joining us in the chat today delegate to the pools out there uh, we'll touch on some of the issues the pools are running into what we think about the amount of stake and how it's distributed currently and what we think it'll look like in the upcoming epics and the upcoming weeks and all that kind of stuff the good the bad and the ugly of where we're at with mainnet today uh, the main thing is is with staking for all of our stakers out there people delegating to our pools uh, what are some of the what is the current status of the capability how can people delegate currently and what options are still not yet complete? So currently, what can we use? We've got Daedalus and what else?
2: Adalite. Adalite okay. and
6: Daedalus.
1: Yeah, so we've got Adalite. What can you use Adalite? Do you have to put in your uh, 15 or 24-word passphrase? Can you use Ledger, Trezor? What's the deal with that?
6: Yeah, you can use Ledger and Trezor, uh, but I would not recommend um, anything else than that. I agree. I agree, one hundred percent. Yeah, because the, the problem is that while they're secure, there's a lot of spoof websites that impersonate Adalite, and if you're entering your password into a site you think it is, they'll just steal your money. So it's it's okay. not a good design from a from a spoofing standpoint. Okay, so Charles, if I'm at
1: Starbucks uh, connected to a public Wi-Fi and I'm typing in my fifteen word passphrase into Adalite, do you think that's a good idea?
6: No, no. <laughs> don't don't even go to Starbucks. Starbucks is bad. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: oh, but I thought it was okay.
6: <laughs> even beyond you know,
1: spoofing, you know, yeah, you know,
5: if their website were to get hacked or something, that could get you
1: to... Yeah, James was on here before, told us about pineapples or something like that. I don't know whatever that pineapple is. You and for all
0: the all the people out there that just feel comfortable in Yodoy and you've been using Yodoi during the ITN, just wait, wait a week, wait a couple of weeks. There's no rush. It's better that you take your time and don't rush to a quick solution because sometimes when you do that, you get compromised in the middle. So take your time. Everyone's going to get there eventually. And I know you're missing days, but staking really hasn't even begun yet. Everything has been pushed back one epoch. So rewards are going to start coming in August 23rd now. They used to be August 18th. Now it's August 23rd. So you still have time. I I know you want to delegate before that date so you can start receiving rewards on that date. But Think about it long term, you're going to be staking and delegating for years on end. So that little time that you miss now, just stay precautious and make sure that you look out for those spoof websites. And yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll I'd get also
3: there. like to add before we kind of go into the nitty gritty, if you're staked to a smaller pool um, and they don't happen to produce blocks this first epoch, hang it out. You're going to do a lot better hanging with a pool till you can understand performance uh, as opposed to jumping around trying to chase chase the blocks. So if you guys are committed to to working with your pool, um, you know, give them a shot. Let them produce because when they produce, it's going to be well worth your time.
1: Yeah, and that was the next thing we were going to get on there, Kyle, was what are the most common questions that you guys get from the stakers and delegators? Because I know you either have – you're on Telegram, Twitter, all these different social media platforms. What are the main questions you're getting now? We have some in chat too. Like how do I delegate to multiple pools? How many of you heard that? You heard question. that question? One of
2: the most common the most questions I is um, if I get ADA, so if I get ADA off of Binance and I already have a wallet delegated, does that ADA automatically delegate to the pool? And the answer is yes, but it does at the following epoch at the next snapshot. I get that question every day. Yeah, I do too.
1: Okay. Um, another question I hear is if I redeem my ITN rewards, I redeem them into a wallet in deadless do I have to restake it? Who wants to take that question?
3: Um, yeah, not if it, not if you're redeeming it to a staked wallet, no. But if it's a, a brand new Shelly wallet, yes.
0: Okay, there you go. There All are right. also a couple issues. People have been asking why they can't redeem it into a Shelly wallet. Make sure you have a few ADA as a balance in order to pay that little transaction fee that you need to do in order to redeem your ITN rewards. And your wallet also has to be synced. Wait for mm-hmm. it to get 100% synced because people are saying that they're not seeing their balances, but you haven't synced the entire blockchain history into that wallet That's yet.
3: absolutely correct. If you try to redeem your ITN rewards before the wallet sync, you'll see often a transaction pending and it just kind of stays there. What you have to do is just cancel that transaction. Once the wallet sync, just go ahead and re enter your 15 uh, word mnemonic to restore, and you'll be fine.
6: And just something on syncing real quick, especially for Windows users. I'm actually a Windows user because I like Microsoft products. But uh, you might notice that there's a big performance delta between Mac and Linux and Windows when you start syncing Shelly. So this occurs when you have a cold wallet, well, just a fresh new wallet, I should say. And it's just normal and fast and fine until you hit about 97, 98% then it really slows down for that last 2% of tail. What's happening under the hood is that it's operating under the Byron Ledger rules, and those are really optimized and really fast for all the way up to 97% because that's the chain history. And then when it gets to that last 2%, you're sinking actually Shelly blocks. And we didn't have time to fully optimize that on Windows. So there's a huge slowdown for certain users and certain groups. The good news is we're aware of it, and it's just a matter of performance profiling and optimization. So this upcoming Node release that we do here in August, probably next week or the week after, and then the following few releases, each and every one of them is going to be uh, in- dramatically improving that performance and bringing it in line with the experience that you guys had with uh, Byron. So just be a little patient about that. But that was something that we kind of had to clip a bit for the, the launch date on the, the 29th, where we'd got to a point where it was correct, but not optimized. Uh, for certain users. And so we said, okay, well, we can fix it on the back end and that's something we're going to clean up. Another thing is one-to-many delegation. We're still figuring out what's the best way to accommodate that in the specifications. There's no technical reason not to do that. There's just a a few things under the hood that we have to make sure that we do correctly for that. Uh, But that's a feature that I've put high priority so that you can have one wallet and do fractional delegation to many stake pools. I think that's going to help out a lot of small pool operators because right now, if I only have one wallet, it's too much of a pain to go and create three or four wallets to delegate the multiple pools. So I just pick one and I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. But if I have choices, I'd probably pick multiple pools. So you'll see a lot more spread of the stake if we go for a one-to-many uh, delegation. Uh, so we're not only going to do that in Daedalus, but we're also going to make sure that we get a firmware update for Ledger or Trezor. So those devices can have that capability as well. But that's a little bit out. So we're still in discussions about it. But hopefully something August, worst case scenario, probably September uh, or October in that time frame. Just, you know, we're at
2: half
3: capacity right now. That's not too terrible at all.
2: Yeah. Another big question that I always get is uh, when rewards. Um, so the original rewards date was <laughs> August 18th. Uh, but it has been delayed until August 23rd. And a piggyback question off of that is how can they delay the rewards in a decentralized system? It's because we have not started decentralization yet. There's this parameter called D and that was going to be set at 0.9 starting at the beginning of this epoch, but instead that was pushed back five days. So in turn, the rewards are going to be pushed back five days as well.
1: So even though the approval for d equals 0.9 was issued yesterday at the beginning of this epoch it doesn't go into effect yet right it goes into effect on august 13th yeah and then two epochs will take place and on august 23rd rewards will will go out
6: based on those two epochs and charles you were saying yeah i was going to say it has to be fair you know and the reality is that there was a a large amount of Still, but now a lot less. But at the time we made the decision, stuck in exchanges. There was the Daedalus presentation bug. There were still a lot of hiccups with people getting infrastructure set up. And I kept getting message after message saying, oh, this is not really that fair. Why, why are we rushing into this? We're going to be doing this forever. It's okay to delay for five days. And it was a very unpopular decision in, in my own company. But ultimately, I thought it was the best decision for the whole ecosystem to just get that set up, get people a bit more visibility. When a third of your stake pool operators aren't even shown in the Daedalus interface, how is it fair to them to say, okay, well, everybody else gets to start before you? Uh, that just didn't feel right to me. So I, I had to make sure that at least that got resolved. And also we got some more clarity on the exchanges. It is really annoying, some of these exchanges. Um, some have been great, like Binance, and working with us. And obviously they're online again, right? Others, they don't even want to show us logs or they just ask us random questions and then they just go back into the darkness and we have no idea what they're doing. And we say, guys, if you work with us and you have a problem, we can help you actively debug that. I have three people between the foundation and IO Global who work full time on nothing but exchanges, answering questions, uh, giving them, you know, white glove support, this type of stuff. The other thing is some of them are using very weird environments and, there's no problem with our software, but when you use our software and the surrounding infrastructure, like the database software along with virtualization, these three things together create some bizarre emergent bug that prevents something from happening. But we can't replicate that bug if we don't know what the environment is. So we're just sitting there saying, well, yeah, give us your logs. We read the logs. They don't tell us anything valuable. So we're like, we don't know. So the only thing we can do is build better logging software, give them to them. They run it in a black box and then send over the new logs to us. Yeah, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And then maybe we can guess what the bug is. And, and usually it's not even our software. It's a problem with SQLite working with Docker or something like that. So this is what we've run into for some of those tail exchanges that have not yet re-enabled. And when it became clear that that was going to take a little bit more time for certain exchanges, it felt a little bit more right to also uh, delay by a single epoch. But to the point, once we flip that switch, I'm a big advocate of constant decay. So no matter what happens, every epoch, we still, that D parameter decrements by a certain amount. My proposal, and it's being vetted internally, is 0.025. So no matter what, you know that D is getting smaller, and there's a maximum range of when D is going to uh, come to an end, regardless of what's going on. And my hope is that we can include some parameters on the other side so that if the network is decentralizing faster than D uh, in terms of state pools and active state participation and so forth, we can accelerate the decrement. So it doesn't take uh, 190 days to go through all of D, but rather it can be done in 100 days or something like that. So uh, we're going to publish a big blog post on it August 14th. And, you know, it'll just be a natural thing. Every epoch, you see that little decentralization bar just grow and grow. And hopefully it grows really quickly. But regardless,
4: it's all moving in uh, in one direction. As a yeah. pool yeah. that was in the in there in the beginning, and we were lucky enough to be one of the ones that uh, our ticker did show up in the first batch. Uh, from a perfectly selfish point of view, we were we were just disappointed, I guess, in the in the delay because we were excited. We had our blocks, we had our delegation, yeah, yeah. Uh, everything was ready to go, and then. Then it got pushed back, and then in the next epoch we actually ended up losing almost two million uh, stake, and we you know we were we got you know about six million uh, and a half, and then to go into the next one with that and plus that much more competition, it, it, from our perspective from a selfish one obviously, uh, it, yeah. it, it hurt us quite a bit.
6: Yeah, I know. And and that's an example of an unpopular decision. And I'm sorry about that. I can't keep everybody happy. And the problem with being me is I have to be fair, not friendly. And so one thing may hurt one person, it helps another person. That said, only 30 some percent, I think, of the current stake is active. And so that means there's a huge opportunity for new customers. And by the way, guys, the best thing you can figure out is find a way to market in Japan. There's an enormous amount of stake in Japan that is currently undelegated and inactive, and the people who have access to that market they got like ten percent, fifteen percent of supply stake to them, more than IO Global by a factor of two. So uh, that's that's an untapped market.
4: For us, it wasn't yeah. so much the rewards itself; it was the ranking system, and not and everybody not knowing that it was random. Uh, yeah. So one pool we're you know seventieth, and then we open up a wallet again, and we're six hundred and something. And I keep getting all the questions: Why, when I delegated to you, were you in the top twenty, and now you're six hundred? Yeah.
5: Right. Yeah, I have some neighbors that I've, I've gotten online, and they're. I, I I keep telling them it's like, well, wait wait a month before the rankings mean anything because it's just getting started. <laughs> yeah
3: the one tangible advantage of the delay was obviously, as you said, Charles, to get, make sure that the, you know, the stake pools were visible and dataless. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of com- complaints or gripes from the operator community that, 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 that was the primary, um, advantage and there wasn't really much supporting it around that. And, you know, I don't think that the operators in general have much problem with, uh, the timeline from D one to D zero. I think that's a general consensus where I think the issue lies is that initial D parameter because it it raises the bar for these little guys to be able to come up that much quicker. And that's, that's a lot of, uh, and and I understand technically there's reasons for that. You know, launching at 9.9 is tough. There were rumors flying based on, you know, your recent video that maybe it was going to be 0.975 and that got a lot of people (laughs) hot. And so we were dealing with that on the back end. But some people didn't understand why that was such a problem. You know, we're breaking ourselves. We, we, we have nearly a 1,000 pool operators, and they didn't train themselves. So, you know, I think where we're concerned is we want to create the most fair playing field for them to accrue stake. And how can we do that? And I've actually been spending a lot of my time helping these guys to learn how to market because that's something that, you know, is not a very solid skill tact with, with the majority of right. operators.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Kyle. And you know, that Kyle brings up a good point. It was the randomization in dead list that was one of the problems people were facing. I don't even know if today, currently 2.1.0 is still randomized. It looks like they've stabled out. So I'm assuming they're no longer randomized, but I don't know. And so that's the hard part is knowing exactly what is the current state. Um I do have to say that it was a pretty good job getting the exchanges online. As of four days ago, we had three exchanges online. Now we have 11 exchanges plus eight Ada light. So that was a big step forward. Um, Daedalus went from only showing 440 40 pools to now showing over 880 pools. So again, big jump forward and very helpful to the smaller pools. But you know what's funny is on Friday, the Daedalus problem was fixed. And then on Saturday, another problem comes along. Uh, and what what was it for the pool operators? What's the what's the biggest uh, concern you have right now about the stake distribution? What do you guys think? This is the hard part. This is the hard part. What is it, guys? Stake distribution. Where's it at?
6: Is there an elephant? I can go. And grab? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, forty
1: two forty two percent resides in three general locations. Okay. So, uh, there's this just an example. Okay. There's a huge chunk that sits on the pool ZZZ, which is fine. They're all in Japan. And as we mentioned earlier, learn how to market to the Japanese. Good luck. There's a lot of English speaking people who have trouble marketing to English speaking people. So, <laughs> good luck with that, guys. Um, there's also uh, <clears throat> the 1PCT pool, which had a very successful model on the ITN, launched 1PCT on the Mainnet and again, it's a very successful model. It's hard to sustain. Like you, any one of us here can't just run one pool at one percent and turn a profit. It's not going to happen. You're going to lose money. Okay, most people can't afford to do that. All right, but if, if could any of you sitting here, could you launch a hundred pools at one percent? Sure, sure, you could. Anyone here could do that. Are you going to be that kind of guy? I doubt it, or you wouldn't be sitting on this podcast because you put your your name and your face behind your product, so you're not going to be uh, that guy, right? Because then you got to wear that stain, right? <laughs> and then the third one is the really tough <laughs> one, <that> Charles, man. <laughs> Charles, I got to hint it <laughs> to you coming on here. Uh, IOG launched 20 pools on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, what's today, Sunday? Yeah, on Saturday, 20 pools that vary between about 3%, 7%. They started off with pledges that varied between 1.5 million and 3.3 million uh, spread. So the higher the pledge was, the higher the percent on the pool was. And then the the bags loaded up yesterday with uh, about uh, anywhere from 150 million to 300 million per pool. Anybody want to talk about that?
2: <laughs> can, can I can I touch on the um, on the delay real quick before we jump into this? Yeah. Okay, so so the main issue that I had with the delay was not the fact that we got delayed, but the way it was done. So on Monday, there was a post by Tim Harrison. Um, shout out to him. I always love his posts on the forum. Right. Um, I think the forum is a great place to give infor- information to everyone and especially to us operators. And the way he said it was, the way they were going to deal with this hidden stake pool problem was continue the dataless ranking to be random for a few weeks. And I think that made the most sense because it allowed operators that were in there early to still be paid um, but also kept it random so we didn't have advantage because we produced blocks prior to anyone else. So I, I made video content. I've told hundreds of people when they're going to get paid the rewards. And then three or four days later, uh, I'm coming home and you post a new video. So I was like, I was excited to listen to it. Uh, they're always educational. Right. So then I play that and then I get this notification that I'm not going to be paid 33% of my rewards this month from a YouTube video by you when four days prior. And this is one day, before, one and a half days before the epoch change, right? When three days prior, we were told that we're not going to go through with this. Um, we're going to keep it as is. But to deal with this problem, we're going to randomize the data ranking. And I think that made the most sense to me because after you guys delegated your ADA, that put a 20% because you guys delegated about 22%. So that raised the, the amount of ADA you need for a block by 22%. So all the small pools that were there prior to this, they could have got a block. They could have held their delegates and but because of the delay, they're not gonna be able to get a block and, now. And um, we felt
3: the brunt of that because we're supporting them trying to get them to reach targets. And then, you know, that and, and I understand where you where where Iog's coming from. You guys are dealing with technicalities. We get that. And mm. I think ultimately, um, you know, and I know you're busting your butt, Charles, and it's a really rough time, but you've got something really special with this pool operator community that no other protocol has. And that's that we work together very closely like a family. We, we built a bond during the ITN. And so we care about these little guys and the path that they need to come up. And so perhaps it's, it's a communication thing. Maybe we need to look at how we communicate. Because some of these decisions, even the D-param right. at .9, we've could've, we could have provided some very valuable feedback in regards to what that would do to the, to the operator community. I mean, we're breaking ourselves to to bring up hundreds and hundreds of pools, yet we're counterintuitive to that effort by, you know, and some of these parameters are going to knock those out, so we're kind of reworking. And that's not something we're willing to redo. But having, you know, understanding those expectations and feeling like we've got a say or at least being heard, I think that will go a long way.
4: And I think it's a morale yeah. issue, you know, because – uh, it's it hard it, it keep, absolutely is. It's hard to keep up. You know, you spent all that time in IT and all the time in the testing, and then uh, all of a sudden, you know, we launch and we're anticipating, you know, three hundred or so pools. We get eight hundred, and then the stake is all going to that, like you said, that that top percent, and we're we're scratching, you know, for you know three mil, four mil, five mil, and then it just keeps getting harder and harder every day it seems, and we start losing delegation. These people are jumping from these smaller ones up to these bigger pools. And um, and then when you guys added, you know, two billion to it, made it that much harder. And it's just hard to keep that morale up. Like, why are we still doing this? You know, we, we spent this time, we worked at, we trained hours and hours and hours a day, uh, helping people come up and create pools. We made it so easy to teach people how to create pools that day one, Pretty much, we had 700 pools. That's how easy it was, and how much work the community put in, you know, to to making guides, we, to training. We made it look
2: easy. Yeah, and, and see, <laughs> and I, I agree with you completely, Charles. When you say that, um, if you wouldn't have delayed it, you would have made some people happy, and and there's always going to be a winner and loser when it comes to these choices. And that's why my main issue was with the communication and how yeah. how closely it was to the change of the epoch. You know. Yeah,
6: that, that could have been handled better. First off, uh, I don't just go on shows to have people praise me or tell us how great we are. I also take the criticism because you have to take both if you want to actually do things correctly. And um, it mean, you all mean a lot to me. You really do. The the work that you've put in, the efforts that you've put in, the things that you've done, uh, they show. And this is why Cardano is going to become the strongest cryptocurrency around. And things are growing very rapidly. Uh First, with respect to the communication, you're 100% right. It could have been handled better. Uh, We decided to pivot when new information came to us, especially about the exchanges as well as some software-related issues. And we said, okay, we need some more time. And I said, all right, well, just just delay a little bit. And um, it's not going to be popular. Uh, It's going to piss a lot of people off, make some people happy. But I felt it was the right thing to do. But I fully appreciate that there's another side to that. The good news is that these things are becoming less frequent in our ecosystem and things truly are becoming more decentralized. That's the point of Voltaire. And that's the point of decentralized governance is that a company or a small group doesn't make a decision. Rather, the community as a whole makes decisions. So it slows decision making down a little bit, but it means that you get more consistency and stability with the decision making. And uh, that's a high priority. Um, number two, you know, everything is up for grabs right now. Uh the reward algorithms, the ranking algorithms, all of these things came out of a laboratory from scientists at Oxford. And uh, it may not actually be the best thing for small operators. And there may be other decision criteria that come in. So these next few months are precious because they tell us about the sustainability of the business model. And if our goal is to get more decentralized over time, then we need to make sure that the, the math and the protocol design Uh, match that. And so this is a high priority and it's an experiment uh, amongst everything else. So your feedback is very important in that respect because it helps guide new protocol development to make things a bit more fair and to also promote more decentralization. We're not going to get it right out of the gate. As for IOG, uh, there are some operational issues that trade off how we secure our ADA and how we operate that make it very difficult right now for us to do community delegation. But those will be resolved, and they're very high priorities, and we're spending money out of our own pocket to enhance our development team, including some fixed-cost contracts, to make things get done faster. And at that point, we're not going to run a monolith of 20 pools. Rather, we're going to have a hybrid strategy between public, private, and community delegation. So some of our data will be delegated to pools like yours, and my hope is to do that soon. It's going to take some time uh, to get there. Um, and you know, the other thing is market development. I'm not happy that only 30% of aided circulation is live. We need much, much more of that. You know? And we need to also start building some infrastructure for stake pool operators to have almost like uh, their own union or their own constituency or, or consortium so you guys can better communicate with the rest of the ecosystem. So I started talks with the Cardano Foundation specifically about this and it would be nice to see uh, some form of like sub-foundation or or guild or something like that form specifically for state pool operators. Then we could discuss all of these issues and communicate all of these issues as one block. But again, that takes a little bit of time to uh, to prime that pump and uh, get that going. But I'm happy to take criticism. I mean, uh, you take the good, the bad, and the ugly with all these things. And mistakes have always been made. I mean, I go back all the way to day number one where I asked, should we have written in Haskell or not? There was a huge upside but there's also a huge downside and there are a lot of rough edges that we as an ecosystem have spent years trying to resolve another thing is should we have built your before we built daedalus and built out that whole ecosystem and uh just had a uh you know a full node that was just command line for power users exchanges and so forth would that been better would we had a better user experience for that almost certainly for the vast majority of users but on the other hand having daedalus well distributed meant we had lots of full nodes so we're a far more resilient ecosystem. So you have all these trade-offs with these things. You pay something, you gain something. And this is the unfortunate sh- situation of being a custodian is that you you oftentimes have to make those difficult decisions and piss a lot of people off along the way. But you have to have principles and values along the way. And the principles and values I have is I want to see this thing get more decentralized as the value of ADA goes up. I want to see more and more pools and I want to see it more and more profitable to run those pools. And I'd like to see those pools become their own organ within our ecosystem and be an anti, uh, be an antithesis of what we see in Bitcoin, which is that you have like 10 shops that run the whole thing. Nobody knows who the hell they are. They're all in the shadows. They have all these backroom deals they make. They are jurisdictions like China and the country of Georgia and so forth, running on subsidized power. And they have private ASICs and private supply chains and so forth. That's not who we are. And if we converge to that, it's a failure as an ecosystem. So we need to find a way to, to be somewhere else, but that's going to take some time and it's going to take some feedback. And I think these are very valuable conversations to help get us there. So
4: in that in that vein, I'd like to be the first one to ask, when K?
6: When is the factor K going to be increased? Actually, we have a whole channel right now in, uh, in uh, the... Um, our Slack and our scientists are in it, and our engineers are in it and we're talking to a lot of people. What I'd like to do is increase K um, similar to how we're decrementing D to see if we could have a constant factor or build a model, whereas the price of ADA goes up, K goes up uh, because then the profits are still proportional. So things should work pretty well. Uh, that said, uh, ultimately, it's going to be in the hands of the community. Uh, so K is a system parameter that can be updated with the update system. And when Voltaire is fully turned on, the community is going to decide what K sits at, just like they decide everything else inside the parameter. So until we get to that point, I'd like to see K increase. Second, I'd like to see uh, that be connected to something more rigorous than a gut feeling or an opinion, and there's there's ways to do that. So we're going to discuss D very heavily in the blog post on the 14th, uh, but we can certainly also discuss where we're at with K. And the other thing is, if you guys had a stake pool union or guild, if you came together on that, then we could just pull that entire unit into the conversation. And then it would be very easy for us to get real feedback with the operators. We've been doing this informally with the Telegram channels, for example, and Tim and others have really tried hard to, to talk to you guys on a regular basis. But it would be really nice to have a, a some sort of members-based organization that the stake pools could represent. And then you could have an opinion on K, not just today, but also when Voltaire comes out and there's going to be ballots all the time floating to change protocol parameters, there needs to be a kind of an official opinion of a lot of the operators.
3: I think that would be very easy for us to do given the roles that a lot of us already play. So uh, I think we can take that back collectively and, and present something relatively soon on that front.
2: Yeah. And I, I think tying K to price, like you mentioned, is really important because if we just increase K dramatically, um, there's not going to be enough money flowing into the big pool operators to keep sustaining it. Um, And that's why they released it at 150 initially. That was their reasoning because the value of ADA was lower back then. And that's how many stake pools we could actually support was 150 at the price of ADA there. So increasing it over time kind of doesn't make as much sense to me as doing it with price, you know.
4: Can you 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 explain how it it affects the big pool operators so much that they can't afford to run a pool?
2: Yeah, I don't agree with that. Well, they would just... They would just have to run more pools. I mean that that's what's going to happen as K K increases because, because
4: but their pools and let you know it spread out to the smaller pools that are not making any money.
2: Yeah, but that's that's the reasoning that IOHK released that initially at K equals one hundred and fifty because they were worried there there wasn't enough value in ADA. They also thought three hundred pool pools pool or two
4: hundred and fifty pools, right? So, would what, what you're talking a thousand pools?
2: But I, th- I think we all knew initially there was going to be a lot more than 250 pools.
6: Right. And there's a Pareto principle. There's a Pareto principle play. So even if you have 900 pools registered, you're probably only going to have 10 or 20% of those be dominant productive and make 80% of the blocks. Uh, That You always see that with these systems. You have this big constellation of stuff, and it's just like with token issuance on Ethereum. There's thousands of ERC-20 tokens, but only the top 25 or 30 consist the value and the the bulk of the transactions that occur. So uh, the K was always meant to be kind of a soft parameter that biases towards that Pareto center. And then you have this kind of large drift of things that run suboptimally outside of it. The problem with large pool operators is that large pool operators can become small pool operators. They can simply just split up their stake and then just pledge many tiny pools and then rebrand them and and white label them under different identities. So it's actually a problem that Dan Larimer brought up, and it's true. So the whole point of countermanding that is that you need a good identity system, and then you also need some sort of reputation metric inside the, uh, like you guys have because you're on the show and people know you and so forth. It allows you to build a relationship and counterbalance things out. Uh, but it's, it's a difficult social problem, and you can't solve social problems with game theory parameters. You can just create a system that tends in a direction, but just like it's just like raising a kid. You can send your kid to a good college and have private tutors and all these things. They can still end up as a drug addict, right? So as a consequence, it's the same situation here. You can build a model, you can have good parameters, and you can kind of push the system in a particular direction. But if you don't get the social dynamics right and that meta stuff right, the system won't actually move in that particular direction. Uh, And this is what we're working on right now in the next few months.
5: This kind of plays into how I was consoling myself with the, uh, you know, now there's more delegation, it makes it a little bit harder for me to get a block, and I'm kind of a a small player. But one thing that I was able to console myself with is that I'm going to be around a lot longer (laughs) than a lot of these uh, pools. Because, I mean, there's like over 800 of them. Some of them are going to go away, some new ones are going to come in to replace them, but I'm still going to be here. So, from that perspective, if you're here from the start and you keep going, people are going to keep coming to you. And, yeah, sure, if a big pool splits apart into a thousand little pools or something, you're still going to be here longer than those new pools. Uh, so people are still going to be, you know, having their delegation right. with you and getting to know you.
6: Yeah, and also that's a good point. Uh, merging can happen as well. So a lot of small operators independently may not be able to compete, but if they come together as a their own personal federation. Uh, they may be able to do that. Many of you already have partners. And one area where I think partners could tremendously help diversity and bring more stake into the ecosystem is uh, pairing with Japan. So we have this problem where the people in Japan, the community there is very active and loyal, but there's not a lot of strong technical leadership in there. And then you guys are very technical. So it'd be super cool if we could pair some people in Japan with stake pool operators out of Japan and they can white label your pool and put some sort of Japanese brand on top of that And then allow some of that stake to kind of flow through without you having to be an expert in marketing. So this is one of the things that I've been discussing with the foundation. Can we create these types of programs to kind of incentivize smaller operators to work together and pool resources or to create strategic alliances so that they can be more competitive in the environment, regardless of where the environment sits. And it's still decentralized because at the end of the day, it's not one person in control. It's a collection of people working together. So they have to work together and they keep each other in checks and balances. These are the social dynamics we have to figure out as a community.
1: I'm glad you described it that way too, because you'll hear people argue over the definition of decentralization, but the best definition I ever heard came from one of the uh, people that work with Caitlin Long. It was the, um, I think Hest is the politician, and said, there is no definition of decentralized, but you know it when you see it, right? So we often hear people try to debate the definition of decentralized, but no one's ever going to agree on what it is, but you'll know it when you see it. And all you got to do is look at the network on pool tool on the network uh, selection, and you can see that Cardano is already killing it on the decentralization of the network. That is a solid network. You know, it's a global network, relays all over the planet, Pointed all over the place. Last count I checked, we had had well over 800 relays, but I don't remember where we're at
4: now. We're probably over 1,000. But to prove that fact, I've (laughs) had the the debate, Uh, not that one is better than the other, but the whole bare metal versus server thing, people bring up the fact, well, what if Google, Amazon, uh, all those decide to shut Cardano out? I'm like, well, within an hour, I can have a bare metal spooled up. I can also, because we do
3: daily backups. Uh, We can have uh, pools pulled up all over the world. There's no way they can shut us down. ISPs can implement adversarial legislation too, so, I mean. Sure,
1: but it's a blend. So the solution is a blended solution, and Cardano has a blended solution. It's a combination of you got all these different cloud services. I know because I've looked at it in my list, and I see everyone on on Google, Amazon, Azure. I mean, all these different uh, – DigitalOcean, all these different cloud services – all these different bare metals. At one point, PoolTool had a list on the ITN. About 33% were bare metal. There was some number that were on RockPi and other devices. And then there was some number on uh, cloud services. And when I looked it over, I thought, wow, that's a pretty blended solution. And the blended solutions are the strongest ones. You can't, yeah, You can't just pick one or the other and say, this one's better for this reason or this one's better for that reason. I mean, it's a nice argument to have, but it's like arguing over, you know, which one's faster, a Tesla or Lambo?
4: Well, yeah, it's you know, not right. even about like which <laughs> is better or not. It's just proves the fact that you know we are that diverse that you can't attack any single point of the network without attacking all of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, then there's so many different things you'd have to attack to take it down.
6: You know, another thing to think about is that right now we're in a very competitive my pool versus your pool type of mindset, but uh, there is going to be eventually pool ETF style thinking, where you take a portfolio of pools and percentages according to them. So you could have like a socially beneficial package where you bias your delegation towards a collection of pools that are doing things throughout the world. Or you could have maybe an education package or whatever, or maybe just a profit oriented package. And so instead of directly marketing to the consumer, you just get part of an index and you get rebalanced. That actually happens on the price of crypto assets. For example, there's all kinds of institutional investors that don't invest in a proof-of-stake protocol, but rather the collection of proof-of-stake protocols. And they take a position, do I feel proof-of-stake is going to outpace proof-of-work this month? And then each of these tokens is just some percentage there. One of the reasons why Cardano, for example, had this huge upsurge from $0.04 cents to over to almost $0.15 cents, was that a lot of those institutional investors excluded ADA until we were actually staking. And when it became clear that we were going to stake, they rebalanced their portfolio to include ADA. So even a 5 or 10% rebalancing, when you talk about institutional money, it brought a lot of money in and, and pushed the ecosystem up. Well, similarly, I could imagine something like that happening in staking. And this is an example of a feature that we could build into Daedalus to show different people's curations. So you could have Bob's list of preferred operators, Jim's list, and you can just click that to auto-delegate proportionally to that list and so forth, but these, this is the business side of it, and this is where we're just starting. This is like learning how to crawl before you run, and uh, feedback from you guys working with us, we can build all kinds of great experiences and features. Another thing is StakePool operators can going to have many revenue streams, not just the revenue stream of ADA itself, but if we go to a multi-asset standard, you're probably also going to end up getting a lot of other tokens Okay, then you're going to have decentralized services you provide like hydro channels and maybe oracles and things. And every time someone uses that from your side, you make a revenue stream from that. And then uh, we also have Voltaire coming out and there's going to be provisions made for uh, governance, uh, for for actually having an expert class in the system. People pay to have an opinion in the system. So we've partnered with an innovation management platform. We'll announce that in a little bit. And we're starting to build out all the fundamental components necessary for not just people submitting ballots, but then for those ballots to go through a phase of review and redesign and refactoring to then get to a point that it gets voted on. Well, if we have an expert class who have an opinion there, people could be paid to be experts in the system. So what you're doing right now, in addition to being a state pool operator, is building a brand and an identity in an ecosystem just like I did in Bitcoin when I started my Bitcoin course years ago, back in 2013, and that built a brand and an identity, which I then leveraged to go start some companies in the space. And that became BitShares and Ethereum and Cardano and so forth. You're laying those seeds for yourself. Uh, If I've done my job correctly, there should always be a lot of diversity in the ecosystem and opportunity in the ecosystem, many different ways that if you're willing to put in the work, you can make the money. Uh, If I haven't done my job correctly, then an oligarchy controls everything. Like with Bitcoin, for example, now, and no matter who you are, what you bring to the table, you don't make anything. There's no greater example of that than Andreas Antonopoulos. He and I were contemporaries. We both started at the same time. Our careers took different paths. Andreas gave huge amounts to the Bitcoin community. He wrote Mastering Bitcoin. He was on Joe Rogan. He really pushed for the adoption and understanding of it. And he's poor. You know, he he got in a Twitter fight with Roger Ver and he revealed that he had to sell a lot of his initial Bitcoin that he had. So he has no revenue stream and and no economic capacity that he's getting from being in that ecosystem. Uh, And then you got all these other guys who are just filthy rich in other ecosystems. So that shows you that the incentives are misaligned, that those who contribute don't get something out of it. So we always have to think this way as we're designing out the business side of Cardano. As a final point, you know, proof of stake is about a virtual resource. And right now, that virtual resource is ADA. Now, something that can come over the next five years, 10 years, as we start thinking more deeply about all of this, is we can develop not just one virtual resource, but other virtual resources as well that are decoupled from just ADA and are something else that can influence your ability to uh, make blocks in the system or maintain the system, almost like a proof of merit in a certain respect. So that takes a lot of thought and research, but that's the direction that we're going because we want to build a vibrant, resilient ecosystem. And to Marco's point, uh, an ecosystem that when you hit one, you hit everybody and everybody punches back. So it's very strong and it's very resilient, but it takes a lot of time and patience to get there. You're gonna have some frustrating days. I did too. We all do. Every day is frustrating in a certain respect for me. Um, but uh, as long as you're moving in the right direction, that's the key to uh, to long-term success.
4: Speaking of the ETFs and your idea, we actually, I pulled together about six pools, five or six pools uh, together that were all in that 5 million to 10 million, uh, or actually from like 1 million to 10 million range, uh, about one day before the last epoch, and we did an eight and a half hour live cast, basically just, taking questions from the community. Rick came on uh, and basically we're just, Hey, look, these are pools that I felt uh, over the last seven months have been in telegram have been thing. It just kind of fell through the cracks when it came to live staking. And I, I, we were like, Hey, look, look at us, you know, give us a chance, you know, type of thing. And we did that for eight and a half hours. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, Kyle was on it. Rick was on it.
1: That was a good idea, Marco. I like that. That was really good. And, and, Blue Cheese Andrew Westberg was on there from Blue Cheese Steakhouse, and yep, and that was cool, man. That was
0: Charles. Brilliant. I have a I have a quick follow up question. I just wanted to ask Charles one thing. I feel like the message is is different for the CF Emergo and IO Global. Like IO Global running twenty pools, and you're pledging anything from five hundred thousand to five million per pool, and then Amergo opened up. I think, four or five pools the other day. Might be four, might be five. I don't exactly remember. They're pledging 1,000 ADA per pool. Then you have the Cardano Foundation who are pushing stake pool operator courses. So they want to school operators to get as many people onboarded as possible. But the conversation that we had right now, we've established that at this moment, a lot of pools are not going to be generating blocks. The d-parameter is not going to be community-friendly for at least a while. So... I feel like one organization is kind of setting up pool operators for failure because they're not going to be able to generate blocks for a long period of time. Another organization, Emergo, I mean, they're utilizing the protocol correctly, but they're pledging only one K. And then you have IO global doing this other business model. I feel like there's three separate things happening at the exact same time. That's a time.
6: delicate way of saying it. <laughs>
4: yeah, <so. laughs> very delicate.
6: <laughs> so, um, Okay. So first off, I spent three years where people kept saying I sold all my ADA and ran away. And this, uh, by by doing this, even for an epoch, we proved to the whole world we didn't sell our ADA. You know, so fuck those people who said that. Um, it was insulting and patronizing. I lost over two billion dollars watching ADA go from a dollar thirty down. I had the ability to sell, I didn't do it. Okay. Second, I spent. I, I'm over sixty million dollars over budget on this project. So it's just another point. So $36 million is what we were paid on paper for uh, to, to deliver Cardano. We've actually, as a company, spent over $100 million to deliver this to market. And people seem to think that we're not allowed to use our ADA for uh, what the protocol intends it to be. Um, and you know, we represent different constituencies. The Cardano Foundation is not IOG Global. Sometimes we're aligned. Sometimes we're not aligned. The CF is here for the community. They wake up every day and they say, well, it's not about making profit. It's about what's necessary for the community. They represent that interest. And so let's talk about stake pool education. Why are they doing that? Because it takes, how long take you guys to learn how to run a stake pool? Six months, seven months. It's not an easy process. It's a It's a lot of stuff you have to think about, a lot of skills you have to develop. If you start training people today, those people will be great by January at the minimum before they really know what they're doing because it took you guys that long and you guys are really good. Okay, so we have to ask ourselves, where's the D parameter going to be at in January, February? At Near, damn near zero, if not zero. So, you know, if you train them today, they're ready to go then. And it's important to continually bring in new voices and also have some feedback loop about where things go. Second, the way that we stake things is mostly because of an operational side once we improve some things, we're going to switch to a different delegation strategy. It's a mixture of public-private pools as well as community delegation, which, by the way, we take a we make a lot less money if we delegate versus running our own pools. We're still going to do that. We're a for-profit business, but, and we have no compulsion to do that, no fiduciary responsibility or legal obligation to do it. We still want to do it because we want to promote the community ecosystem. I think the CF should not run its own pools. I think the CF, 100% of their pool should be delegated to the community. Because, again, we're different entities. They're a not-for-profit. Their whole existence is to be here to help you guys, so they should put their money where their mouth is. Me, I mean, I have to balance the concerns of running my own company and our own bottom line with our desire to be a good actor in this ecosystem. That's why we created the CF, so that there was a counterbalance to prevent uh, one entity from being able to decide things and have checks and balances inside the ecosystem, and to force people to do what's collectively the best thing for everybody. Does it always work? No. Um, the community had to come and fix the CF, uh, as with the Guardians of Cardano event, it was horrible, but it was necessary for the greater good. And uh, you know, do we always uh, make the right decisions? Absolutely not. Was the roadmap perfect? No. There's all kinds of things that if I got a do-over, I would have done dramatically differently. That said, I think the way that we've set things up now Is pretty good. And the fact that we're able to have these conversations in a civil way and we can disagree without being disagreeable shows that we've gone a long way as a community. We're a lot stronger than our competitors, which is the key factor in our ability to succeed long term. Okay. Uh, So things will change. If you don't like them today, just keep complaining about them in a structured, productive way. And I guarantee you that things will change and they'll move in whatever direction that's necessary. We're doing a lot of experiments ourselves uh, and we're learning the stake pool experience ourselves as an organization and how cumbersome it is right now, and which makes us as developers pay a lot more attention to your needs and fixing your needs and making sure it gets a lot easier because there's too much operational cost for us. Uh, and uh, we will get to a blended strategy as soon as we can when that uh, when that makes sense.
1: So let me, let me summarize what Charles was saying there. Then we're going to shift. Uh, I'm going to pivot to James Kelly with a few security related matters well, there well, um, as far as stake pool I've operators, got something but to say before you what, do
3: that, but go ahead, Rick.
1: Yeah. Okay, all right. So, in summary, what Charles, uh, Charles, what you're saying here, make sure I understand this correctly. Yes, currently, what some people were concerned about, uh, the pool operators were concerned about, is IOHK had 20 pools with large bags on it. And and that's fine. That's case prerogative. Is that the long-term game? Is that a short-term game? Is there a bit of a plan to shift that as your resources become available to do that or, or whatever? Uh, is, that what, is that what you were saying? Make sure I understand that. Because there was a lot of people who were concerned about it.
6: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have no desire to run 100% public pools right now. The, just there were some trade-offs because of the way that security works with the way that we stored things. stored Uh, we were expecting certain things to be available July 29th that were not available. So we either had to make a decision to do it this way or to uh, compromise the security or to just not stake and lose $300,000 every five days.
1: Well, Charles, I totally agree with your decision because I've said it on this podcast before. There's over 2 billion ADA sitting there. We need it to secure the blockchain. And you can't just swing around 2 billion ADA like it's a little bag. The security... The security requirements must be massive. I would have armed guards when carrying that hardware
6: device, right? I, I mean, yes, it's, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of an issue, and so you have to treat it with respect and certainty. What would be worse? Us losing two billion ADA and that being in the hands of a hacker, uh, yeah. Or you know, what would happen to the price of ADA if people dump that on exchanges? I mean, so so you just have to think around all these things, and there's some short-term inconveniences that occur. Uh, but there are long-term benefits if you do things right. I hear you. I understand that it's not as popular. But you know, things change, and uh, we'll be in a different place in September than we were in August, and we'll be in a different place in October than we were in September. I mean, just look at how quickly things change in the last three months. We went in May from when Shelley—we don't even have any dates—to. Here are some dates. Ooh, we don't know if they're actually able to meet those, to here's the IO Global Summit, with, excuse me, the Cardano Summit, and 10,000 people show up, and the Father of the Internet shows up, to Shelly's Delivered, all in a very small window. So similarly, we have all this stuff in the window. Any protocol parameter can be changed. and The reward model can be changed. We have another hard fork combinator event coming up probably in October, November, in that time period. It's a great opportunity to tinker with things. So if, you know, people aren't so happy or things aren't working out the way we thought they were going to work out, we can change those things. I think you just
5: answered Van Gogh. <laughs> yeah, <Lynn> gogan
6: Yeah, when gogan Well, remember, Gogan's several parts. There's the native assets part, and then there's the Plutus Foundations part. And so the question is, can they be blended together or do we have to separate them into two hard work combinator events? And that depends on our development velocity between um, today and there and how long it takes us to clean up the, the Shelley tale. We reserved all of August in our log to do technical debt reduction, performance improvements, and, and make things better. And then part of September, October for experiential improvements with one team and then dedicated Gogan work with another team. So it's a question of, you know, can they both get it all done or not? We think so, but, you know, I'm not going to make any official announcements. I'm just saying that that was our our book schedule for a hard fork so that's as soon as we can make a dramatic protocol change. We can make tiny changes all the time with the update system, but a hard fork level change, we need to wait. It takes at least a month to package all of it and so forth. The other thing is we need to get all these changes on the new infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> It's taking so much time. It's so exhausting. I'll, I'll check the status
1: before we end the podcast and see where we're at. We're, we're on 11 yeah. out of... Yeah, yeah, you're over halfway, it looks like, on the status board. So, Kyle, you
2: had something... I wanted, to, I wanted to say one thing after Kyle too,
1: my bad. Yeah, Kyle go and then pay. And then uh, James, we've got a few things I'm going to present a scenario that's brief and we'll wrap it up.
2: Yeah, no, real
3: quick, Charles, I totally understand the revenue component and that you know IOG's spending their own funds. And, and that's amazing. I think where we're at right now is that, yes, it does take a very long time to train operators to come up to speed. And the current landscape is such that we're at risk at losing six months of training for many of those operators. So, and I'm not trying to gripe or anything. I look at, you know, situations as being constructive. During ITN, we had what was called a bootstrap group, where we more or less had individuals who wanted to accrue enough stake to produce blocks, take turns delegating to other pools. It was tremendously successful. We got a lot of pools into the game to the point where they were making blocks. And moving forward, I'd just like to put a uh, request for consideration as IOG and CF look at community delegations, maybe we can organize this through the guild. But if we could have access to, let's say, 10 million in state keys, what we could do is we could run a program where we incentivize operators through content production to secure their spots and take turns delegating to one or two operators in Epoch to boost their pools. And that that gives these guys a lot of hope to hang in the game. And and, and and we wouldn't have as many pools today. I know that for a fact if we didn't do that effort during ITN. So I just, I don't want to lose all that training that we spent. That's all.
6: Remember, Kyle, that the CF has 600 million ADA. Uh, You know, that's a public disclosure that they made, and that's the community's money in a certain respect. Uh, So this is an example of where these types of suggestions can come from if you can get approval there. And then second, there is the DC fund, which is starting imminently. Um, I believe, I think September, October is when the voting for fund two is going to start. So that's going to be at least a quarter million dollars to start with there, but that's going to scale rapidly. And our hope is to get a fund out every six to eight weeks. And then the size of those funds and the frequency of those funds will both increase. So these are examples of things that can be done to supplement revenue or to provide additional funds to help with education and growth of the ecosystem. That's why I said we're kind of learning how to crawl before we can run. It requires a little bit of patience and pain. But remember, Bitcoin had to go through this. There were plenty of people who mined Bitcoin at a loss uh, when they first got started or set up things. I remember mining Bitcoin was $4 back in 2011 with a Crossfire setup. I had um, AMD 5850s, four cards and a board on Crossfire, and I was running that 1.2 giga hash. Uh, and I thought, man, I'm the coolest guy in the whole world. And it heated the basement and all that shit. It was, it was great. And uh, I broke even on that, uh, with the and I get a few Bitcoin uh, every day. Uh, and I said, wow, this is, this is so cool that I'm able to do that. Had I held on to those Bitcoin, um, I would have made millions and millions and millions of dollars off of what I generated from those four graphics cards. But I didn't. I bought an Xbox instead. So, uh,
4: <laughs>
6: So it's a very expensive Xbox. So, you know, the, every, every ecosystem has these stories, right? Um, and it's the same for us. And so just patience is what's demanded. And do represent your interest. Never feel like you don't have the right to complain or feel like you don't have the right to spe- speak your mind. Please do so. We need to have a diversity of opinions. And actually, please think about this ETF idea of proportions of stake pools instead of one, because it would actually make it a lot easier then for the CF to make staking decisions. One of the big problems they have is with all of that ADA, how do they decide which pools to win? If they're picking a collection instead of uh, just one or two, that would make their life a heck of a lot easier, and it would promote small stake pool operators. In fact, they could even have a policy. Maybe they only delegate to smaller operators to help bootstrap the system, and that alone would provide a huge push. It also helped with the Japanese delegation as well, uh, which is a humongous amount of the stake. It's, it's well over 50% of all stake in circulation. It dwarfs anything that we have.
4: What about the treasury? Yeah. Uh, I forget my ignorance on this part, but who the DC controls Fund. that? And who Does it get staked?
6: The, no, the treasury doesn't get staked, no. Um, those are unminted funds. So, uh, uh, well, if they're in the treasury, they've been minted, but no, there's no there's no staking uh, there. Uh, yeah. And uh, once they get distributed, then you can use that how you will. Uh, so you can either stake it, sell it, and uh, so forth. Uh, but remember, it's not an insubstantial amount of money. I think there's, unsubstantial amount of money. I think there's over 100 million ADA or something like that.
4: That's
1: right. It's just over 101 million. It's massive.
4: So if it's it's minted and it's just sitting somewhere. Yeah, but I know it sits in the protocol. So it's
6: in a special account that can't be spent and it can't stake. So nobody actually physically holds that. It's being held by the blockchain as a custodian. custodian. Okay, okay. Okay. All right. I want to get, so back. To, can I can want to I, get to our
1: one most important one question here. Yeah. Pay, go ahead. And then we got to, we got to roll okay. on and so we're going to wrap it up.
2: I could tell by Kyle and Marco's face that what I said earlier about K was not worded very, very well. <laughs> so K was set at 150 when ADA was eight cents, right? So do I think K should be increased 100%, right? But to just all of a sudden base um, on how, how, what K should be off of the number of pools that we have initially, I think is a terrible idea. Because there has to be a fine medium between supporting big operations and little operations at the same time. So do I think K should be increased to, to 250? Yes, of course, but I feel like price needs to be taken to, into account at the same time, and not just the number of pools that we have in the operation. Let the me op- ask you this: episode.
4: What is a big operation? Is your operation bigger well, than mine just because it has 150 million? Well,
2: well I have. Uh, well, yeah, I have. I have two pools with 2.5 million pledge, and I have other people a part of my operation. Just like just oh, like, I, you know, I have, you have like, a whole family people. of people. I have four people. My so, so you think that K should just be 900 because there's no, nine no, 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 hundred? No, 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 I'm all for it. And that's what I was saying is I, I I, think K should be increased, but price has to be taken into account. No, no, think, you okay.
4: said big operation think, versus small operation. What is a big operation versus a small operation?
2: Uh, a big operation is a pool that has more pledge, more stake in the game that secures the network more.
4: And how, and, and Okay, that's fine. Stake so how does game. a small... Don't small ones want to become big ones?
2: Yeah. yeah, They can be with, with low <laughs> pledge. Well,
3: uh, look, look, I think, guys, real quick, I think that there, we're missing another factor, price versus big op. The other factor is competent op, okay? How many competent operators do we have? That should be taken into consideration as well. Right. Yeah, it
6: should. And that's that's mm-hmm. why I, I was mm-hmm. saying we need a reputation metric.
2: Yeah, and, and I quoted that from um, the original blog post that says K equals 150. They said they did that initially to support all operations at the price point that we're at now. That's where I got that idea from. It wasn't just me coming up with that on my head because I was angry about K equals 150 initially. And then I read that and I said, okay, that kind of makes sense. And that was before I had any delegates to my pool. It was before my pool was built, you know?
1: Yeah. So, and I'm glad you did the research on that pay. And what we are finding is that YouTube channels and content creation is very helpful to getting delegators to recognize the pool there's only so much marketing you can do. The last thing we're going to touch on today was the um, security factors. Now, just just so everyone's aware, there there is a pool that got hacked. That was a Jun Suk choice pool with uh, Happy, and he recovered very well. Um, I, I we all feel for him, but but he has uh, turned his pool into a like a charity, and um, I, I say he recovered the ball very well. And I feel for him and the community feels for him. Everyone who knows him, he's a great guy. And so, uh, so security is also an issue for pool operators to be alert to. If I'm a new pool operator, and when I say new, I mean in the last six months, someone who's like the average IT skill levels and never operated a cloud service before, for example. And I start building a pool on the cloud and I'm not familiar with cloud security. What, what should I be alert to? to prevent from getting hacked or prevent security hazards. So in the big scheme of things, we don't need to go into the bloody details. What's like the number one things I should be looking out for in general, if I start trying to build a pool on a cloud server? Well, or a blended a- solution, cloud or, or home server? Which What do you right.
5: think? One thing you have to understand is cloud servers are not completely yours. The staff for that company can get onto your server, generally speaking, which means if you have your keys on your server, they can get them. They will, but they could, especially considering that people can be social engineered. So somebody might trick the the operation staff for your cloud provider into getting onto that server and pulling off keys or something. So from that perspective, it's better if you have your own server that nobody else can log into. Also, anything that's, like, set up as a virtual machine and so forth is not necessarily isolated. There's ways of breaking out of a virtual machine and getting onto the host uh, server, which then allows you to get onto other virtual machines. So if you have a cloud server, there's a chance that somebody else who also has a cloud server on the same hardware could actually get into your server. So they're not perfectly secure, uh, <laughs> you know. So from that perspective, one way you mitigate that is you just make sure you never have your, your cold, you know, cold keys on that server.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think every operator should, should be signing their keys cold on an air gap box, regardless mm-hmm. of architecture. That would mitigate, you know, I operate as if I'm going to be compromised in that regard.
1: Yeah, yeah
5: that, that's a great mentality to have is assume you're going to get hacked. I do. I always assume I'm going to get hacked and what's going to happen if, once somebody hacks this.
4: Yeah, me and Adam went back and forth for three months debating how we were going to handle this because me, from a business standpoint and him from a coder standpoint, I'm hammering him with questions. And he's like, Yeah, I'm an IT professional. I've been doing this for years. I know how to handle security. I'm like, Yeah, but I don't. So make me happy. Tell <laughs> me you how go.
0: going
4: <laughs> I'm going to keep hounding you until, you know, and then we did get the air gap. We did get the safety deposit box. You know, we did all of that. But it was me hounding and questioning. And he's like, I got this. I got yeah, uh, so it's, it's yeah.
5: really good you did that, because in a lot of cases, when people are trying to get things done fast, they kind of skip steps. Uh, you know, IT, you know, software developers, all of the above, can be kind of tourists for that. They're like, well, i got to get this working, so we'll worry about security later, and then the security never gets addressed. So the, the fact that you're asking questions might have actually saved you. <laughs> From that perspective, I'm not trying to say anything bad about the IT guy I'm just saying this is kind of nature when people are trying to get things what? done
4: while he was out there testing, you know, with you guys and uh, on the ITN and the, the testnet and all that, I was with the lawyers, the, the CPAs, you know, uh, getting all that stuff squared away, making sure and asking questions to the CPAs and working with them all out in Wyoming, you know, uh, and everything. And while they're working on, you know, blockchain litigation and all that kind of stuff, like, how can I prepare from a business standpoint to run a pool? Because when Ada does shoot up and does get, you know, to a dollar or whatever. We're talking, in some cases, millions and millions of dollars. Right. Right. And a lot of pool operators are not going to be prepared for that from a business standpoint because they're IT guys and sometimes IT guys are not business guys.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I saw that with
6: (laughs) with Bitcoin Rise. You know, they had all these Bitcoin tech guys who suddenly became fabulously wealthy and some of them, like, never filed taxes before. (laughs) <laughs> so like, Oh, my God, what do I do? I, I'm worth $5 million or $10 million. Did you guys have a chance to see the, the security uh, YouTube course that I, uh, I released, the hour and a half video? That was yeah. pretty awesome.
3: Thank you for doing that.
6: I'm going to do awesome. a, a second version of it. Um, first, there was a lot of comment, uh, commentary that I should be using open source tools and platforms instead of proprietary solutions. So I, I probably will bias the second one towards that. And also I solicited it amongst a lot of InfoSec experts. And I asked, could you guys give me a lot of comments on things we can improve? Uh, that was targeted towards the consumer, but it would be nice to do a follow-up course specifically for best practices for um, stake pool operators. And um, we did talk to the foundation about creating a certification for stake pool operators uh, that the operators go get certified and part of the certification is operational security. In addition to the legal best practices and other such things, and so it's an additional collection of free free training or or so forth that could be provided to uh, to help people get where they need to go. This stuff is hard, and no matter how good you are at it, there's something you always miss, or you know you're only as strong as your weakest link. And even though you might be personally awesome, uh, you know you you, you you probably could have a little hole. Like I found out the other day that my secretary had yet to migrate to LastPass and use a UV key and so forth. I'm like, you idiot. If people want to hack me, they hack you. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And So I'm secure, but they go for you. So, so then, of course, I spent a little while with him uh, getting him, forcing him to upgrade. Now, he didn't do it because he, he just didn't have time. It wasn't mm-hmm. even a competency issue. It was just, oh, I'll get around to it tomorrow. I was like, no, you are the weakest link here as a back door into the executive suite. So, I think
4: our, our theme of our podcast the other day for the eight-hour live stream was, you don't know what you don't know. No matter how mm-hmm. many guides you read, how much people help you, if you don't even know what questions to ask, right, or situations are going to come up. And that was where the ITN, the testnet was so important because you're running epochs every six hours. You're running case changes. You know, you're doing all that work on an accelerated timeline, and you're you're just you're learning so much. Uh, and to where if you're just coming in, reading off a guide, again, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, and, and you guys, know,
1: Marco, that, that kind of leads me to the last question I was going to ask for James. If you're just reading off a guide, that was the second part of the security thing. One is the physical security where he said air gap, right? Air gap, air gap, air gap, air gap your stuff. If you're not air gapping, you're exposing yourself. Doesn't matter if it's a cloud server, home server, uh, blended solution. Some people are pointing back and forth between home and business servers and cloud servers now. And the other part is the social side, which is also another part of James Kelly's expertise. And that is, so James, what's the social engineering flaws here? Um, How could you get me? Like if I'm dialed into a Discord server and I'm following a guide that some guy posted online and I'm downloading random code off of GitHub, what's the vulnerabilities? What's the attack surface look like? Tell me what you think, man.
5: I don't think anybody should be running scripts uh, that are that help you set up a pool. You can, you know, if, if there's a reputable script, what I recommend doing is opening it up and looking at the commands that's running and manually step through those, um, you know, if you want that help. Uh, but you shouldn't just run it because, you know, the repository could have a, you know, a change made to it, and you know, something could be added to that script or, or they could just potentially do something that wasn't really... The best idea like uh, and on the itn a lot of the you know guides that people were going through involved actually typing into the command line your uh, your keys and you know it's like one of the first things i do whenever i'm doing a penetration test is i go look at the history to see what the you know administrators of that server had been typing into the command line so I can know what they're doing on that server. And if I see keys on in that command line history, it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> this made it a lot easier, but you know, so it's like, don't assume that the guides or the, um, you know, the, the scripts out there are doing things in the best way, actually just kind of look at it make sure you understand what you're doing as you're typing those things in and, and know that those things could be compromised in some way. You know, if you're downloading anything off the internet, it could be changed before you, you know, before you get your hands on it. I noticed in one of your uh, videos, you you went through the trouble of like downloading the uh, you know the PGP key and, and verifying it, you know verifying the binary. You know it's like the reason why that functionality is even there is because somebody could compromise the download server and upload a altered version of the setup for Dataless or something. And you know it's like you can't know for sure that hasn't happened. And if if your livelihood is built into a program you want to you know, have some assurances that you're doing the right thing that you're not setting stuff up for trouble.
4: Yep. So Charles in that vein is there going to be a prism for like websites and apps and all that kind of stuff where we know that hey this is uh, an ADA light site, uh, yeah, we, 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 we site. Yeah I'm sorry Marco go ahead. Oh well, yeah I was just saying not a spoof site like the ADA light for example when I'm downloading that wallet, how do I, you know, is there going to be a PRISM type of thing?
5: There's certificates already on websites. And i that's a habit I have is I go and I click on the certificate and look at because it, it'll show you who the certificate was issued to. But
4: um, that's more of a computer tech thing, right? That's, a, again, what you know you don't know. But with PRISM or something, I'm guessing there's going to be something a lot more visual. Yeah. So we're not going to replace the X.509
6: standard overnight. Um, and everybody just try to kill the, the whole set uh, setup because it's hierarchical. And ultimately, it depends on your root of trust. So your browser has built in a root of trust set. And actually, if you click on Chrome and you, you take a look at a website that's SSL, that little lock that you see next to the, um, next to the address usually is, the, if you click it, you can see the information about whether that's Microsoft.com or Google.com
4: and so forth. Can't they be spoofed? I mean, can't they have their own lock? Can't they even just spoof
6: a lot of If you have a browser, yeah. But uh, if you trust Google or you trust Mozilla or the web authorities, um, that system is okay for now. The problem is it's hierarchical and uh, it's not exactly bulletproof. There's been many, many cases where that's been uh, problematic in the past. Where PRISM is uniquely useful is that you can start establishing a different web of trust that's blockchain-based. So there's no central authority that controls these things. And you can look at different reputation metrics and weights. And what we can do is preload certain routes of trust into Daedalus, for example, like EMURGO, input, output, and foundation. And then you can look at things instead of absolutes, like green or red, but rather a preponderance of the evidence. So you say about 70% of the network is saying that this is true. Do I feel good about that versus 60%? And then you can then drill down and say, well, which actors have vouched for this particular person? So one area to study would be um, web of trust. It's a concept that came out with PGP back in the early 90s and it never really got traction, which is unfortunate because it would fundamentally change access control on the internet had that happened. Not only can you identify a website, but then also get rid of usernames and passwords because you could just simply use a challenge response protocol to log in. So your account creation would be registering a signed PGP key and then, uh, associating that with a username. And then when you enter your username, it sends you a nonce, you sign it with your key, and then, uh, you, you, that's your password for that session. And then, uh, it'd be all automated. Just click a button. Uh, so had we, had we had a password free internet, uh, we would have uh, we would have been there, uh, you know. So uh, Prism is trying to bridge that gap. We're trying to look into things like the new Did standard, as is Microsoft and the rest of the people, the DIF, and we're probably going to build some form of a Chrome extension and maybe do a roll-up where we take um, ideas from LastPass and Mailvelope and these other pr- and Keybase and these other projects and blend them into something that's easy and make it integratable with UROI and Daedalus and so forth. If you have that kind of infrastructure, then you could talk around identity, scalable identity. It goes from the individual all the way up to the enterprise, and it's an alternative way of looking at things. And, yes, you can make the GUI very pretty. If you're above a certain threshold of trust, you can make a website appear green. If you're below a certain threshold, no. Anyway, I think James wants to dial in on this one. Yeah, James, do you uh, want to do a
1: screen share to the whole screen?
5: <laughs> I'm messing around with the, uh, the
1: OBS trying to – Okay, so – You don't need that. We can make you a co-host. You can share the whole thing. Uh, It's real uh, easy. You ready? uh, Yeah. Uh, All right, good. And put that away and bring James's pretty face back. Hang on. All right, here we go. Let's see. (laughs) People can't see that. The viewers can't see that on YouTube. Right. Okay. All right, right. there's James. That looks better. That beautiful man. Just (laughs) hang right there. I'm going to make you a co-host. I'm going to tell you what to do. Okay. Make co-host. Click. All right. Now, take, you have a different screen with your data on it, right? Yes. Just go to the bottom center, hit that screen share button. You'll get a new window and pick either the desktop or the window. I prefer window. Give it a shot, bro. You got this, man. You got it. Bottom center.
4: are you doing that? That was a zero proof stuff that's going around, right? The zero ZK proof or- No, that's
1: a different thing. Um what Charles was talking about there, I'll give you some examples. Like I I signed Charles's PGP key, I'm saying, yeah, that is Charles hoskinson because I was playing around with it. Um and, and that's one level. And then the next level is the w- which is what James is about to show you is the PGP and the next level is keybase and I seen Charles just popped up on Keybase and so now we're Keybase buddies.
3: Oh that uh,
6: too.
5: Yeah, so I, I clicked on the. Uh, it says your screen sharing, but I don't see my.
6: Yeah, phone. yeah, I can see your screen. Oh, I can okay. See
5: it. All right, cool. You're good. So, so, like right here, I have up the, uh, you know, the download for uh, page for data lists. If you click on the lock, you'll see where it says certificate valid. If you click on that, you'll get a a little bit more information. You know, it'll say issue to, and. You know where it was issued from. Some websites will actually say the the name of the the corporation that the certificate was issued to. These are just like different levels of certificates. Yeah, but you can spook
4: that too, right? Well, I mean, at least maybe make the I look like an L or something like that, and get a certificate for nothing, pretty much, right?
5: Well, you can. Um, actually, I was I think, hoping I, I was hoping that 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 particular certificate would have had a better. Uh, picking on oh, my
4: certificate, James. <laughs> yeah, let me. The population won't even go yeah. that far. You know, they what they I mean? go to Google.com.
6: That they probably, they probably have a nice. Okay, let's see here. Google. Uh, by the way, you've just revealed to all of us that you have a Coinbase account. Yeah, sure. He's sure.
3: revealing a lot in them tabs. <laughs> <laughs> so <Sorry. wanna> <laughs> Coinbase
4: news there, Charles. While we're here,
5: well, you can also see that I use GitHub and and yeah. uh, MarioDB. Okay, I so uh,
1: incognito who, mode when I go to Pornhub.
5: <laughs>
1: that way it doesn't show up on my live streams. Rick, we're still live. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> you don't have it's, to go to Pornhub if
6: you're starring it. Oh, I upload videos to it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I recognize that. Uh, it's actually,
6: is this your second gig on the side?
3: To, to my to make my, my Pornhub second. name
1: is Ricardo Mountain Bone.
3: Man, man's got to eat. Man's
1: got to eat. <laughs>
5: So, or you can see who the where the certificate was issued by, and it said. I keep picking companies that have their own certificates of authority set up, okay. but you, you see, it was like issued by Microsoft. Right. It's it's harder to to uh, spoof this sort of information here.
4: But see, you say that, but like ninety nine percent of the population couldn't tell you if that was real or not. You know, what I mean, like, yeah. they're using a five, but if it said a four, I would still think it was it. You know well, what I mean?
3: I mean, a lot of the populations using Let's Encrypt Certbot for free SSL certs. You know, yeah. that's how developers get it done. I used to vet sites back when Adobe was an ad tech initiative. We'd have publishers running, you know, botnets to inflate ad fraud. And, um, you know, one of the techniques we would do is, A, look at the site. They'll have social links that usually link back to the legitimate sites. But um, if you look at the Whois directories or the Whois registration database, you can usually get a lot of information based on when the domain was registered and that kind of stuff.
4: Right. But but somebody like me, for example, you know, I'm going to
3: go to a website.
4: I'm going to assume a lot of this is already in place. And I'm even if I look for that kind of information, I couldn't even validate it myself. I couldn't tell you if that was real or not. You know what I mean? I'm going to assume it's real, but that's what I'm saying. 99.9% of the population, if you're not in this industry, are going to just go ahead and trust that information no matter what. Yeah, I'm hoping if we had something more, more visual, or an icon, or you know, something that it can't be, you know.
6: Yeah, and, and actually a Chrome extension may ameliorate that a little bit because what you can do is just look at the extension and it would appear a certain color if everything's okay, and it would appear a different color if there's uh, some form of a problem. So uh, I agree with you. This is the problem of the trade-off between actual security and security theater and uh, usability, and the vast majority of people, they're still living on Windows with no password and uh, no clue what the hell they're doing. And they haven't updated it in two years. There's tons of backdoors into their system and so forth. And then we say, hey, go buy crypto and go live in the crypto world. And then suddenly that's putting you to an operator level that's traditionally reserved for a web administrator. It's reserved for a technical person who has an IT background and understands how certificates work and, and understands social engineering and all of these things. It's it's a contradiction. And so there's a gap between where people are at and where they need to be to be able to do this stuff safely. uh, Well, it's why bledgers exist and treasures exist. They help a little bit, but by no means are they closing that gap. In fact, um, we see it every day. Anyway, I have to get to a lunch meeting. This has been a heck of a lot of fun with everybody. Uh, Thank you so much for your feedback. Feel free to to keep uh, saying it regardless of what it is. And I'm probably gonna make more decisions that piss you guys off at some point in life. I still love all of you and I hope you still love me.
1: Charles, uh, we love you, man. And thank you for taking the ass whooping for all of the tough decisions. <laughs> and and yeah. they're gonna
4: keep coming. And thanks uh, thank you. There'll never thanks be for taking a decision you make that isn't controversial.
3: Thanks yeah. for taking the time to jump on. I know you had a really rough day. We appreciate that.
4: Cheers,
6: everybody. Thank you yeah. so much. Cheers. Thanks, thanks, Charles.
3: Have a good rest all of right. your day.
6: Right.
3: Rick, we're gonna wrap it
0: up as well. Yeah. We're it's over that time. Art. We're well oh, over. Yeah, We're so, well over. So I want to thank everyone for joining us today. We appreciate each and every one of you. Please like, comment, and subscribe. I want to thank Marco. I want to thank Kyle. I want to thank Big Pay, Peyton, and James as well. You can go check out their pools. Marco's pool is Buffy, Kyle's pool is Frog, Peyton's pool is Bloom, and James's pool is AKA. So if you want to go delegate to the community pools, look for Bloom, AKA Frog, and Buffy. And go check them out. Thank you, everyone. And until the next episode, this was episode 102. All right. Until the next time, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.